So uh, we're going to start our journey um, at the back of John. So you can turn towards the end of John. And then uh, our core reading is going to be at John 9. And then we'll also read a section from John 1. So if you can get your fingers into those different places, we can flip around uh, and, and read in those different places. Sandwiches. I can talk to you about sandwiches. There's different ways we can talk about sandwiches, eh? I can simply say the original sandwich was a piece of salted beef between two pieces of bread. And uh, that would be interesting, but it wouldn't be memorable. It would help you if I tell you that, the, that John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich, who lived in 1718 to April uh, of 1792, was a British statesman. And uh, at one stage, he was the head of the Navy. Um, at one stage, he was the head of the post office in our terms. And he held also other political uh, positions. An important man. Uh, now, despite all of that, he's known for the sandwich. Because it is said that uh, he, was a, he was a guy that liked to play cards and, and, um, and gamble well. And uh, when he was doing so with his friends, uh, he would tell the servants, go and fetch me a piece of meat in between two pieces of bread. And um, it said that, that the other players around the table then uh, simply said, well, we'd have one of those as well, uh, like Sandwich. So, um, in other words, his name was not Sandwich. He was the Earl of Sandwich, but he was known by his title, the Earl of Sandwich. And that's, uh, Sandwich is a place. So that's how it's said that Sandwiches came about. The, the, the other biographer um, from his time said it's actually more likely that he would have, being such a busy man and a man of arts, uh, that he would have had these sandwiches at his desk while he was working. All right, so, so uh, there's a simple illustration. I can simply say, well, a sandwich is, is a piece of meat uh, between two pieces of toast. Or I can tell you a little story and make it more memorable and make it stick. And that way, um, understanding would increase and, and you would remember. Now, when we come to the book of John... John also deliberately said that there's a lot of things that he could have told you, but he chose to tell you in a particular fashion. Um, and if we go to the, to the uh, book of John in chapter 20, we'll find out why John wrote the book. So the point that I'm going to make today is simply that Jesus can help you with your darkness problem. Jesus can help you with your darkness problem. So let's go to John chapter 20. But before we go there, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to consider Jesus today. Consider your word. I pray that we would be blessed and that you would be glorified. 
as a result. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the story we're going to look at is in John 9. But what we find in John 20 is why John wrote and how he went about things. So let's have a look at John 20. He says there, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Now, so we see that John says several things to us here. He says he's going to tell you about Jesus, or actually it's at the end of the book. So he said, I followed a certain methodology. I, I chose deliberately to tell you certain stories. And in the case of John, he liked working with sevens. So he, he talked about the miracles of God or the miracles of Jesus, and he called them signs. Uh, he says that Jesus had done many signs, uh, but he deliberately chose seven so that you can learn something about Jesus. And that as you learn these things, you may have a certain response. Well, what is he saying there? If we just have a close look, we see, say, uh, see in the first place that he says, I written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Jesus means Savior. Um, Mary was told you should call his name Jesus because it is he that will save his people from their sins. So, Jesus is a Savior. He saves people from sins. He saves them from Satan. He saves them from hell. And by the way, by saving them from hell, he's actually saving them from God because God is the one who puts people in hell. So we are being saved by, by Jesus from the wrath of God. So Jesus is the Christ. Now the Christ, Christ means anointed one. In the Old Testament, right through, there was an expectation. Right from the Garden of Eden, where, where Eve was told that there would be one coming from her seed that would crush the head of Satan. And right through uh, Moses and David and Isaiah, many different prophecies of one that would be coming. Also Daniel, as we see in the passage that we read today. So... There is going to be somebody who is going to be Christ, anointed. Anointed means appointed. He'll be appointed by God to fulfill a certain work. Uh, he'll be a king. He'll be a prophet. He'll be a priest. So John wants us to, to see by the stories he's going to tell us that there is a person named Jesus who is the Christ and he's the son of God. <clears throat> the son of God that means he shares the identity with God he is the same person that God is um, he's the same kind or the same type but then he goes on to say having said all of that if you respond in a certain way to him well then there's life for you if you believe by believing in this Christ You'll have life. What does believing mean? Well, believing means to agree with, 
to take seriously, to fear, to consider, um, to take into account. There's different ways we can describe believing. You can even, even say worshipping is, is a form of believing. All right. And you'll have life in his name. Now, in his name means that if you believe who he is, then you'll have life. Now, if we take a jump right to the beginning of John, we can have a look at who he is. Because um, in the beginning of John, in chapter 14, if you want to page back to right to the beginning of John, John 1, verse 14, there it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, John is saying we saw Jesus. What did we, what did we see? Well, we saw the Word becoming flesh. The Word becoming flesh. What does that word mean? That means God spoke. God had a message. And that message was Jesus. Jesus was the embodiment of that message. The Word became flesh. He became a human being. That was God's, God's plan, and he spelled it out even in the Old Testament. And John goes on to say that this word, this, this message of God, God telling you about himself, became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He, he lived amongst us, says John. He was one of us. And John says we saw him. We we saw this message of God called Jesus. We saw him. And we saw something of God, the Father, as a result of seeing him. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he said, you know what? We learned something about God by seeing Jesus. We learned that God is glorious. In what way is the glory of God best displayed? We, we actually sang about it this morning. God's glory is really well displayed by His creation. Creation shuts the, the glory of God. But we don't always see that. We sometimes get stuck and worship the creation instead of the Creator. But Jesus came so that we could see the glory of God the Father. But there's also two other things. He came and showed us grace and truth so the son became a human being so that you can really see grace and truth you can see god is full of grace and you can see god is full of truth all right now having that picture john is writing to us and he's telling us certain stories that he calls signs to tell us about jesus and what Jesus looks like because Jesus tells us what the Father is like and that if we believe in this person that we see then we'll have life so having that as a backdrop understanding why John is writing to us let's now go and read one of those signs let's go and read John chapter 9 John chapter 9 it's a long story and we're going to read all of us but see as we go along see if you can see 
those things that Jesus display. See if you can see the glory of God as displayed in Jesus. And what did we say is the glory foremost about? It's about creation, God being the creator. So let's look out for that. Let's look out for grace. Let's look out for truth. Because God is characterized by grace and truth, and Jesus came and displayed that. So let's see if we read through the story, if we can see those things. John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked, again asked him, how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight and asked them, Is this your son? who you say was born blind. How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he, can, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, 
Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to also become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is amazing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opens my, opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began had it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you teach us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Thus far our reading. I trust that some of the things that, that we have mentioned thus far about Jesus and who he is would have been clear to you from the chapter that you would see who he is. You see that the chapter starts with these people saying um, to Jesus, who sinned? See, there's this confusing thing that sometimes we assume that we know why people face certain calamities. That's a mistake. Shouldn't do that. Uh, we, don't, we don't know why people have certain problems. And, and clearly these people assume that, well, this guy had a problem and it must have been either his parents or his mistake. Now, we're not going to drill down into why all the argumentation is or how they came to those conclusions. If you want to talk to that, we can talk about that after the service. You can ask me about it if you want to. But the point simply is that, that they assumed this must have been because somebody had, had done some sin and therefore calamity came to, came to this man. Now, in a general sense, it's true that this man was blind because of sin, because sin entered the world and thereby sickness entered the world. Um, so in a general sense, it's true that his blindness was as a result of sin, but it wasn't because of personal sin in any specific um, context. Well, was it, what was it for then? It was, as we read in the text, that the word 
the works of God made, might be displayed in him. And you may think, well, that's not fair. Um, it's not fair that, that God would use somebody like that and make life hard for him so that he could, so that he could uh, display his own glory in it. Well, um, let's just say that, that we don't always see everything that God is doing. And God is doing some things that look to us like not fair. Uh, we, we assume that it's not fair. But he's doing it for a good purpose and for a good reason. And we don't see all of that. Because after all, he's the potter. We are the clay. And we can't challenge him about uh, what he's doing. So maybe you're saying, uh, well, that's not fair. Well, let's ask the question, do you deserve to see? Do you have the right to see? Or maybe you say yes, because everybody else is seeing. I need to be seeing too. Well, not quite. If you get what you really deserve, well, sight would have been the least of your problems. But clearly, God had a plan here. And if you had asked this man about not seeing before and seeing now, he would say, well, it's irrelevant. I don't worry about not seeing before because I've seen him. I've seen something much more important about him. And um, what God is doing here is, is he's helping us through Jesus, who is the word, who, who displays him. He's helping to see something about himself that we wouldn't normally see. And through all these signs that John described, we see things about God that we simply wouldn't have seen otherwise. Take, for example, some of the other miracles. The first one, turning water into wine. Just taking water and turning that into wine. I mean, that's the creator at work. This is Jesus turning water into wine. That's, that's an incredible thing. But it helps us to stop and think about God turning water into wine every day. God does that. He turns water into wine. But you don't register it because it just happens. But why, why am I saying he turns water into wine? Well, go to the Cape. See the vineyards. See God watering those vineyards with his rains and turning that into grape and grape juice. And then having microbes that turn the, the wine by, by via fermentation into something with a strong taste, with a pleasant taste. So you wouldn't register that God is doing that all the time if he doesn't interrupt history and he just does it like that. Then suddenly you, you sit up and you think, wow, God, you are doing amazing things every day. But Jesus helps us to see that. We can go on to the other miracles. You know, the bread and the fish. Him just manufacturing bread and fish. And we don't register that, that he can do that and he does it all the time. That's what God does. He, he just makes wheat grow. I mean, we would be impressed with some of the plants around Rustenburg that extract platinum. From the, from the soil. Pretty impressive plants that, that do this and that derive value because we, we can analyze that. But we don't think about God 
deriving and generating value as a, as a matter of course. And so Jesus coming through time and suddenly providing us in bountiful ways uh, with, with examples of, of how the Creator provides on a daily basis. And by the way, even on Sundays or even on Sabbath days, God continues to provide. He doesn't stop uh, on a Sabbath day to provide. He provides all the time. He works all the time. So He's the Creator. But, but He also creates eyes. He created your ability to see me. He created senses inside of your brain to be observing me and to be looking around. And, and <clears throat> what he did and what we need to register is that he, that he created the hardware and the software. What do I mean by that? I mean, he, he created the eyes. The, that's the hardware part of it. But at the back of the eyes... There's a whole lot of intelligence, isn't there? For you to see, immediately if I point that, you'll call it something. You'll call it chair. Because you know that. Now, remember what God for, did for this person. This man has never seen in his life. So God gave him the hardware. But there's, there's lots of things that would just be visual noise to him. He wouldn't have any way of interpreting it. He would have a a kind of a vague idea about what things are but but he wouldn't really appreciate what they are because that goes with language and with sight and and a whole bunch of things that are learned over time by small children and eventually they they have the ability to to have eyes that are very astute and very clever and eyes that collaborate with their hands in doing certain things and eyes that focus and all kinds of wonderful things these are the things that jesus has, has created for you but because this man was born blind suddenly if he does it like this then we see who he is he is glorious and we behold his glory the glory of the father is what jesus has for this man was born blind it's sometimes the absence of privileges that helps us see what value we really have when god sometimes takes away we really see what we have we don't we don't know what we're having until we're missing it hey so verse 4 says we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day jesus is saying I must do the kind of things that the Father does. I must do the works of Him who sent me. Because there is a time when I wouldn't be able to do that. And that's the time when I'm dead, removed from this earth. Then I can't engage with people in, uh, in these things. And verse 5 then says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is saying, I don't only deal with, with creation things, but I deal with something more serious, and that is the ability to see spiritual things. He says, I can help people with their darkness problem. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I can help people with their darkness problem. We rush ahead. We see the man uh, responding to Jesus 
he's not only hearing that I, I should go and wash. I mean, it would be pretty rude to put some saliva and mud on somebody's eye, especially if he's blind. It would be a nasty thing to do. But, but clearly God has created in this man already the faith that he responds. And God wants us to respond in faith so that we can get spiritual sight. Now, isn't it, isn't it amazing how, how you get different responses? This man responds by obedience. But this is not, a, this is not a, the standard response. We find that there are other uh, responses as well. In spite of a man that clearly has never seen in his life, that now see, sees the Pharisees are at war. And they say, this man is not from, from God because he does not keep the, the Sabbath. They see an amazing miracle. And we see it right through the, through the book of John. People seeing amazing miracles. And the Pharisees just being willfully blind, willfully stubborn. And what is their problem? Well, their problem clearly is their own religion. They... They don't actually worship God. They worship their religion. They worship whatever makes them look good. And therefore, they have an astounding blindness. And you would find that. That if God doesn't switch on the light for you, if He, he doesn't supply you with the light, if Christ doesn't light your eyes up, well, you'll just fight. You'll be either a religious fanatic glorifying yourself or a stubborn atheist but all of it is actually worship you worshiping yourself but the question remains who is this who who is at work here because the pharisees can't see it so they they ask the the man who who is this man well he's a prophet he says so the man at least can see that this is no normal person that we're dealing with with here we see also some other responses we see the parents the the parents are scared the parents know that if anybody acknowledges any this this man as the christ they're going to be thrown out of the synagogue and that's something they simply can't afford they just don't want to do it isn't it amazing their son born blind blind all his life being outcast being a beggar He's sight restored and they're not willing to acknowledge that something profound happened here. Isn't that just amazing? But isn't that just how it works? If you don't want to see, you won't see. And you'll deny and you simply won't see. So the, the parents are scared of acknowledging who he is. But, but still the question remains who who is this man now when the the man born blind is now, who's now seeing is interrogated he says you know this is this is amazing this is what what is amazing is that you can't see what's going on here how can a man who is a sinner create eyes i mean if we just consider him to be a human being how on earth would god support that kind of work if he's a sinner 
if if and and he says you know for somebody to be in a relationship with god where god actually responds to him uh god wouldn't listen to sinners god god would ignore people who don't worship him and who don't do do his will why why would god answer them so the man clearly sees who he is he sees that this is a unique person he doesn't know exactly who it is uh, at this age his theology is very limited but he can at least see what this man is all about but what's the response him saying that to the pharisees what do they do well if you don't like the message just shoot the messenger so what did they do just throw him out of the synagogue they cast him out because they don't like the message uh, if you want a sophisticated name for that it's cognitive dissonance when people simply can't get this thought into their minds they just find a way of ignoring the truth so these people are simply ignoring the truth but that brings us to the to the last part and that's the important part the issue about truth because we've seen god's grace displayed now and we we see god's grace displayed to everyone every every day but jesus also displayed the truth and there's there's something that's more important than having eyes to see on this earth and that is having eyes to see for eternity seeing jesus who he really is so in verse 35 we see that jesus when he when he hears uh that the man's been cast out he talks to him and he says do you believe in the son of man and immediately the man knows that just as this is jesus speaking to him so he's quite willing to say i'll listen to you i mean after you've done what you've done for me i listen to you so you see john's concept of the sign the sign has pointed this man to jesus showing him what jesus is and and it demands a response so this man sees who who, who uh who is talking to him um he sees it from the sign and and he therefore responds he's, he's asking him do you believe in the son of man now um this man would probably have known about the son of man the concept the phrase son of man because it comes from the old testament the people were expecting somebody to be called the son of man from the book of daniel 9 for example we read about the son of man so there is this this person that they were expecting call him the christ but somebody called the son of man that's important because somebody was going to everybody on this earth you and i are, are sons of men aren't we but there is this one who is called the son of man which in other words means being a son of men is not usual for him it's an exception so so he says do you believe in the son of man and he says in response um who is he that i will believe if you tell me about the son of man i'll believe in him i'll i'll take you seriously uh i'm willing to to agree with with you about the truth um again he did not know any everything about jesus he didn't know about jesus being the redeemer the savior of sins the, going to the cross he didn't know about all of that 
but he certainly knew about the one who, who had healed his eyes and that he needed to partake, be taken seriously. So Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. So Jesus is saying, I'm the son of man. I am God incarnate. I, I'm the, the God who became man. I'm Jesus. I'm Christ. I'm, I'm the son of God. And, and therefore, because I'm the son of God, because I'm God myself, that's why I can make people see. I can give life. I can give light. I can help people with their darkness problem. Important just to see at this stage that the reason why this man could see was not because he could see. He could see because Jesus made him see. In the beginning of the chapter, you'll see that Jesus saw him. He didn't see Jesus. So that's important just in terms of the spiritual application here. If it's not for God showing us the light, if it's not for Jesus shining the light into our lives, well, we simply won't see. We'll stubbornly fight God, like the Pharisees, but we won't see. It's only by the grace of God enabling us to see that we see. And spiritually, that's, that's true also for this man. What is the result? When he says to him, I am he, the man immediately says, verse 38, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Worship shows that, that he knows who God is. Worship shows who your God is. And, and the question is, do you have an appetite for worship? Do you have an appetite to be with the people of God as they come and worship? Do you want to tell God that you are impressed with Him, that He is glorious, that, that you think He's wonderful? Or do you perhaps have some other object of worship? Is there perhaps something else, someone else, that you are worshipping? You could see in this, in this passage that, that the Pharisees worshipped their own ideas. They had particular ideas that they held on to and they worshipped the, those ideas because those ideas made them look good. And therefore they worshipped those ideas. And in, in their world, when they compared themselves with others, they would stand and, and look at others and say, well, thank God that I'm not as bad as the other people. I'm pretty impressive. So they worship essentially themselves. themselves. Their parents, the man's parents, well, they worship people. They, they were more concerned about what people are going to think about them and the relationships they had than they were about God. And then Jesus goes on to say, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who, may, who see may become blind. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying something tremendously important. He's saying that he can only help people with problems. 
All right? If you acknowledge that you are blind, Jesus can help you. If you acknowledge that you have a sin problem, Jesus can save you. But as long as you're saying, I'm okay, I see fine, I'm in no need of help, well, then you remain blind. And that's what John is saying. That those who do not see, in other words, those who acknowledge, I have a darkness problem. I have a sin problem. Those who acknowledge that, those Jesus can help to really see. But for those who, who say, you know what? I don't have a problem. Actually, if, if you ask me about if I'm a good person, I'll tell you what I am. I'm a good person. Well, do you know that Jesus can't help good people? Jesus can help sinners. That's what's happening here. He can't help good people. If you, if you consider yourself to be a good person this morning, well then, why would you need Jesus? This is what Jesus is saying. He says, I came to help people who know that they are sinners. Everybody are sinners, but not everybody know it. Not everybody are willing to acknowledge that they are sinners and that they have a sin problem and that the only solution for them to be reconciled to God is for God to do that himself through Jesus Christ. So, if this morning you are thinking, like the Pharisees, they say to Jesus, well, are you saying we are blind? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. Now, because you say we see, because you think we see, well, your guilt remains. You're not willing to come to the one who is the solution to your problems. So there is a glorious message here today. We see that Christ is one who can help us with our darkness problem. So in summary, we said this morning that John, John used stories, he used signs, he used incidents in the life of Jesus to show us who Jesus is. And through these incidents, we can see at least three things. We can see that Jesus is Jesus, which means he is Savior. He can save people from their sins. He's the only one that can do that. He's the only one appointed by God, and therefore he is the Christ. He is the anointed one. Thirdly, he is the Son of God. And, and as we say he is the Son of God, we see all the fullness of the beauty of God displayed in him. Grace, truth, and his being the creator. If you believe these things about Jesus Christ, you can have life in his name. You can have joy. You can have satisfaction with life but you can also have an eternity in heaven the question is will you see Jesus for who he is or will you keep fighting let's pray father we thank you for the beauty of Jesus full of grace and truth thank you that he came to display your beauty your grace and your truth we thank you that we could hear truth 
this morning. And that your grace is even displayed in allowing us to hear truth this morning. Truth that is valuable for life. For life eternal. For abundant life right now. I pray, Lord, that you would open blind eyes. And for those whose eyes are opened, I pray that we would appreciate anew that Jesus is the one that can help us with our darkness problem. I pray that as we consider the week behind us and we consider darkness in our own lives, that we would come to the sober reminder that Jesus can deal with darkness. And I pray that we would remember that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that we wouldn't be foolish to justify or to ignore or to deny our sins. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.